we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedules to join us on the JF Podcast. It is our hope that this most recent talk teaches you, inspires you, and challenges you to live the life you were designed to live. If this message has helped you in some way, help someone else by sharing it. And if you want more information about who we are, what we do, or you'd like to contribute to our community, you can find us at JolietNaz.org. Thanks so much for listening. Remember this from last week? We started a new series called Get It, Got It, Good. You remember this? And last week I stood up here and I told you, I was just honest with you, it took me two hours just to figure out how to write the title. <laughs> I mean, it was two hours worth of trying to, does get it, question mark, got it, period, good period, or is it get it, period, got it, question, I mean, you with me on this? And so we went through, you role played with me on this, we talked about the four different ways that you could have this conversation. In fact, you have the interrogative affirmative, the interrogative interrogative, the uh, affirmative affirmative, and the affirmative interrogative, and you looked at me, and I asked you this question, I said, did you get it? And y'all said, got it. And you were shaking your heads like y'all right now. And then I said, I would love for you to come up here and explain that to everyone else. And everybody went from doing this to no. And the reason I, I gave that example, and the reason why we had that conversation is because so often we fake it until we make it. In fact, some well-meaning person has told you, and when it comes to your job or whatever you do, be confident even when you don't know what you're doing. Just fake it until you make it, right? And people will follow you. Well, that, that's not good advice. It really isn't. Because if you don't know what you're doing, that means nobody else knows what they're doing. Fake it till you make it. This is something that we've bought into. And, and just to be honest, we said this last week, that when it comes to following Jesus, a lot of us just fake it till we make it. In fact, I call it bobblehead Christianity. We spend so much of our time doing this, like we get it, we got it, we understand it, it's good, right? And nobody ever wants to do this to Jesus. Nobody ever wants to say, um, excuse me, I have a question. I really don't understand what you're saying. Your parable that you just told is horrible. Could you start over? Nobody says that to Jesus. So he knows that about us. When it comes to our faith, we're all just, I go to church. I love God. I have no clue what I'm doing, right? And so he gives us this parable that we, we talked about last week. And in the parable, he tells us about some seed that is planted in some soil. And at the end of it, you looked at me and I looked at you and like, we're just as confused as we were before, even though we read it a million times. Like, I still can't explain the parable to you. Right? And he leans in at the end of it after telling this, and he says, Are you listening to this? Are you really listening? Because he knows that we're not really listening. See, he understands that there's a disconnect between what he says and what we do in life. And when there's a disconnect, we said this, is, and this is so important. When there's a disconnect, there's an absence of story. In fact, we said when there's a disconnect between what God is telling you, what Jesus explains to you, what he says to you, and what you experience in your life, there's a disconnect and there's an absence of a story in your life. Actually, a story that's worth sharing. You remember this? And we said that God believes, God believes you have a story worth sharing. You need a story. In fact, he says it. He goes back to it and he says, there are those who need stories. 
There are some people in life who need a story that's worth sharing. You need a story that's worth sharing. Come on, let's just be honest. Some of you know that when you die, your obituary will not tell you anything permanent to anybody else's life or anything important to anybody else. When you die, that will be it. There's nothing to tell. What a shame. Jesus looks at you and he looks at me and he says, you need a story. But even with some stories, they're not going to get it. Their eyes are open, but they can't see. Their ears are open, but they can't hear. And we said that the worst thing that could happen in life is living a life that is void of any meaning. It's actually living a life that's not even worth living. And so you know what we do? Here's, how, here's a test to let you know whether you know you're living a life that's not worth living. You know how you do Do you watch, anybody follow people on YouTube? I do. Yes. Yes, I got one person. I got a couple. There are times where I love following these vegan health fitness guys, and I follow them because I'm not a vegan health fitness guy, but I would love to be a vegan health fitness guy. And I follow them because their stories are worth following. There's something about them, and we call them those people. Those people that are, are, inspire us, we aspire to be like, they give us goals, they give us passions, they give us excitement about what they're doing in life, and we wish that we could be doing it with them. And so Jesus wants us to get to the point of saying, I don't know. Did you know that you grow when you admit you don't know? Did you know that? The most growth that you will do when you grow is when you, when you admit that you don't know. And when we can admit to Jesus, I don't understand, I don't get it, I don't understand this faith thing, that's when he says, okay, now that you're listening, now that you're paying attention, he says, this is a story about those people. I'm going to give you a picture of what life could be like. And that's where we left it last week. So you all ready for part two? Okay, good. I'm glad you're with me. All right, I want to start out with a question this morning. Uh, actually, we're not really starting. We're like middle of the message. So anyway, uh, in the middle of the message, I want to ask this question. Have you ever received a, um, yeah, what's the worst compliment you've ever received in your life? The worst compliment that you've ever received. I remember when we were in southern Indiana and my little baby boy, Miles, was born. And some well-meaning, they weren't well-meaning, they were just rude. But they just walked up to Janelle. She's holding her brand new baby boy. And they said, Oh, he would be so cute if he didn't have red hair. It must have been kick a ginger day. I don't know. But I was like, oh, my goodness, are you serious? Is that a compliment? Or, I mean, I don't know how to take that. Um, people often give me this compliment. They think it's a compliment. But typically, whenever there's a wedding or a funeral, they'll come up to me and say, wow, pastor, you clean up so well. Like, do I look like a mess most of the time? I mean, help me understand. Uh, what they're really saying is thanks for not wearing your holy jeans or just thanks for not wearing jeans. Thanks for dressing up to the party, you know. Uh, one of the other things I get all the time is uh, people will often ask how much I weigh. <laughs> I don't know why. And when I share that with them, they say, wow, I didn't know you weighed that much. You hide your weight really well. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I wonder, what's the worst compliment you've ever received? Come on, young guys in here, young guys in here, uh, let me just help you out. Let me give you a heads up. I've, I've heard this compliment given before. You never give this compliment. I've watched young guys walk up to ladies and say, oh, you look so cute. When are you due? 
Yeah, never ask that question. That is not a compliment. In fact, <laughs> the worst is when they say, yeah, I was due two years ago. And they're like, oh, my goodness. Um, you kind of just slither on out. Uh, this is another good one. I love, <laughs> this is my favorite. I love how you just don't care what you look like. <laughs> I love how you just don't care what you look like. Thank you. Uh, maybe you've heard this one over the holidays when you've had too many cookies or whatever it is. Uh, you filled out so nicely. Right? Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Uh, how many of you are on social media? You've got Instagram, you've got Facebook, you've got Twitter, whatever, whatever your choice is. Yeah, yeah. You ever had somebody come up to you and they're like, wow, that's really you in your profile picture? Like, it doesn't look like you. I mean, come on. That's terrible. Uh, as you get older, I don't have this one up there, but maybe as you get older, people say, wow, you've, you've aged really well. <laughs> what does that mean? Like, I look old? I mean, come on. Uh, I, I think about this often, and the worst compliment that you can receive, I think, this is just my opinion, our staff had a huge argument, by the way, out in the foyer this week about this very statement that I'm about to make. But I was saying, I think the worst compliment in history, in fact, when I was in seventh grade, I got an award for the most improved player. Like, thanks for not being terrible. I mean, what a terrible award to receive, you know? I really didn't want to walk up. But here's what I've heard most of my life, and maybe you've heard it before, and I think this is the worst compliment. You've got potential. Come on, you know what this is like, right? And somebody comes up to you, they say, wow, you've got potential. See, I was dumb enough when I was young that I couldn't connect the dots that what I thought their meaning was, was, wow, you're doing great. What they were saying was, you don't get it. In fact, really, really bad and improper grammar would just say, you don't got it. And you're really not good at whatever it is you're trying to do. Y'all with me on this? I wonder if you've had people in your life who have come up to you and they've given you this compliment. You've got potential. Maybe it was a boss. Maybe it was a teacher. Maybe it was a coach. Maybe it was a friend. Maybe it was a mentor. They came up to you and they said, Wow, you've got potential. And what they're telling you is uh, you haven't arrived yet. In fact, whenever we hear this statement from people, we would consider this, if you're smart enough to figure it out, you would consider this problematic, that you aren't very good at whatever you're doing. And I think that this is just, just being honest with you, and maybe you could be honest with me. This is how it feels for me when it comes to following Jesus. I always feel or have this sense that I just have potential. You know, like when it comes to understanding God and really following Jesus and doing everything that he's asked me to do or, uh, you know, kind of understanding some of the things that he has to say, I feel like everybody else around me has got it and I feel like I'm always just stuck with potential. Like I know God's calling me to live this life, but I'm somehow living way below whatever he's called me to. And I don't know, maybe you feel that way too. How many of you feel like when it comes to your faith, when it comes to following, I simply have potential. I'm still a mess. I'm still broken. I'm still trying to figure it out. And at the end of the day, we don't get it. We don't got it. And it's not good. And so today, um, Jesus continues his story, right? Remember, we told you there were these people that we were going to talk about. And so he continues the story today. His disciples ask, you know, or they say, why did you tell us this story? And so he goes on to explain the parable. Now, I'm not going to rephrase the parable from last week because you should have been here. It was a great time. But here's what he says. This is the meaning. And he was speaking to all the people that were following him. He says, the seed is the word of God. 
those along the path are the ones who hear. And then the devil comes and it takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. He continues, those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy, but when they, and when they hear it, but they have no root. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries, riches, pleasures, and check it out, I love this word, and they do not mature. Now, I think Jesus' explanation of this parable has potential. <laughs> Some of you got that joke. I'm calling Jesus out. This is a terrible explanation of the parable that you just gave. And, you know, I, like I said, I don't know how many times we've read this story, we've read this parable over and over and over again, but if you were asked to explain it, you wouldn't be able to explain it. I still can't explain it. And here's what's so cool. Luke, the writer, understands that you don't understand what Jesus is saying. And so he writes a story about these people. In fact, this, this parable, I'm telling you, is like eating a flaming hot bag of Cheetos. Like, it is so tasty and so good, and it gets your attention, but it leaves you for something more. Like, a bag of Cheetos is not going to fill you up, right? There's this, you know, caloric deficit that you're facing, and you just, come on, I want something more. And Luke knows that about you, that Jesus' explanation leaves you for something more. And so, here's what he says. Here's how he begins the entire story. According to plan, Jesus traveled to the town after town, village after village, preaching God's kingdom and spreading the message. Now, you remember from the first week, Luke tells us a lot of people had joined along. And so there were 12 with them, and there were also some women in their company. There's Mary, the one called Magdalene, and Joanna, and Susanna. So when I originally read this text, this was, I was doing a devotion. This whole series is based upon a devotion I had. And I remember thinking, oh my goodness, this is so cool. There are three different seeds and there are three different women. And these seeds or this soil is actually these women's story. That what Luke is wanting to do is to give us a picture of what the soil that Jesus explains. He wants us to give a picture of what those lives look like. Because he knows that you'll resonate with it. And he knows that I'll resonate with it. That we'll begin to understand, maybe just get a glimpse of what Jesus means when he explains these women. So he starts with Mary Magdalene. Now, Luke gives her this title. I took it out so you wouldn't know. Surprise, surprise. Here we are. You ready? He calls her Mary, the one whom seven demons had gone out from. How'd you like that title? Just so you know, uh, our last memory of you was when you were possessed. Did you like that one? Uh, no, I wouldn't. But he gives her this title, the one whom seven demons had come out of. And, and it's interesting because back then, when, when somebody was possessed by another force or an outside force, they would often document it. Yeah, they were shaking. They were, they were tearing their clothes. They were vomiting at the mouth. And, and we really don't have Mary's story when it comes to her exorcism. I know some of you are like, where's this going? Just hang with me. That's not the point. The point is Luke puts this number seven in there. And you would know for people then that was a number of completion. And what Luke is trying to say to us is that Mary was completely overwhelmed by an outside force. You with me on this? What Luke is trying to say is that when it comes to this soil, this is a person who is completely overwhelmed 
by an outside force. So I'd ask you, have you ever had a time in your life where you were completely overwhelmed by an outside force? I remember when uh, my son was still in my wife's belly. This was Carter, and we would call him the little blueberry because we didn't have a name for him. We'd just say our little blueberry. And we had the ultrasound. And when we went to the doctor, she came in and she sat down with us. She said, hey, I just want to prepare you that your son has a hole in his brain. And she said, you know, sometimes these things fill in and sometimes they don't. And I just want to warn you that there could be serious complications for your son in his, in his future. And I remember sitting there scared to death. And so, you know, when you're scared and you're overwhelmed by something, you go get tacos. So Janelle and I went get tacos and it's just great to eat something spicy to kind of take the heat off the situation. And so we went and got tacos and we were crying and we were talking and we were wondering, you know, is he going to be able to communicate? Is he going to be able to talk? Will he experience life the way that he, you know, he should? I mean, this was, these were all worries. And I remember from that, from that moment until his next ultrasound, we were completely overwhelmed and completely consumed with that force of not knowing. So what about you? You know, come on, you've had something overwhelm you. You know that one issue with your body may not be a big issue, but it's an issue, and you keep not going to the doctor, which, by the way, is an issue. And maybe you've been to the doctor, and they told you we really can't do a lot about it, and so every time you get up in the morning, that's the only thing you think about. Come on, physically you know, or medically you know, when you have something wrong with you, that is the only thing that consumes your mind, because when it comes to being medically and physically fit and healthy, you know that if you're not, death is imminent. And so it consumes you, it takes over you. Some of us have been completely overwhelmed by the future. How am I going to pay for you know, will my friends, you know, who are my friends going to be when I get to high school? How am I going to support my family? Where's my, you know, we always are consumed with this outside force of the future. And again, of not knowing. What about the past? How many of you have been consumed and overwhelmed by your past? Do you ever relived something that you did wrong in your life? Come on, you've been in that moment and it is so consuming. You are so overwhelmed. And we say this, you just can't get past your past. In fact, when you can't get past your past, you're living into the identity of what you did and not who God says you are. Now, some of you are going to push back on me in this, and, and, and that's okay. But I, I would say this, and we, we, let me just say it up front. I think that medication has moved us a long way in life. Without pills and all that, we can't live until we're 90 and 100. I get that. But I also think that we live in a culture that is drugged, prescribed, and you just take this pill and everything will be fine. And, you know, there are some things that we actually don't need pills for. We could actually just do something about it, but we just choose not to do something about it. Instead, we'd rather just take a pill so we don't have to. I remember running with my friend, and he said, man, I really hate this. He said, if I could just, the doctor could give me a pill, I would love that. And I think, you see, we don't see it this way, but really, that chemical or whatever it is we take is, again, something that is an outside force that overwhelms the true sense of who you are. And so Jesus says this, and now we get the picture. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear, and the devil comes, and he takes away the word. In other words, they are completely overwhelmed by whatever it is that's got them. Mary was completely and wholly overwhelmed by an outside force. 
So she couldn't believe and she couldn't be saved. It's interesting, the next person that Luke introduces is Joanna. Now, she has a husband, and his, he's got a fun name. His name is Huza, like, Huza your daddy. No, I can't say that. Uh, but anyway, uh, Joanna, the wife of Huza. And, you know, when we read the Bible, sometimes we just skip over names because they're boring, like Matthew, right? You get into that first chapter, and it's all names, and you just skip down the line because nobody cares about all those names. But, you know, sometimes curiosity will get you a long way. By the way, I am not a Bible scholar. I'm not. I know some of you think that I sit around books all week and I have these nice little spectacles and I wear a smoking tweed jacket and I'm studying all week long like that's all I do. No, it's called Google and Wikipedia and the same resources that are available to you. Um, but it's interesting because you just begin to look up the wife of Huza and who is Huza anyway? Well, he happens to be the household manager of Herod, Herod Antipas. Now, Herod Antipas took over the kingdom of Galilee. And by the way, in that day, when you get a kingdom, you get a palace to go with. This is like lifestyles of the rich and famous. It's like, do they still have this show MTV Cribs? I know we're not allowed to watch MTV, but I did growing up. And we watched MTV Cribs. We loved it. It was great. A lot of rich people, a lot of cool houses. Anyway, this is Herod, right? He's got this massive palace. He gets up and he sleeps in the finest linen he, he, he can have whatever meal. He has these chefs and these cooks that make him everything that he wants. At, at just the snap of a finger, people will do whatever he asks. In other words, he has a lot of power and he has a lot of wealth. And by the way, Huza manages all of it. And you can't tell me that Joanna didn't have access to it. This is why Luke tells us this story, that every morning when Joanna would get up, I don't know this, I'm just making this up, but it's just a good guess. When Joanna would get up in the morning, she'd get out of her nice linen sheets and she'd walk onto the balcony of her palace and she'd look out over the, the kingdom as the sun rises. She has a servant that hands her coffee and she begins to sip and she begins to think about all that she has. And I don't know a lot about being wealthy, but what I do know is that wealthy people have a lot. And at the end of the day, when you have a lot, that means you have a lot to maintain. And I think where Luke is headed with this and where Jesus is headed with this is that so many times in our lives, we spend a lot of time just maintaining. Come on, how many of you have houses, by the way? And every week you have to mow your yard. It takes me an hour to mow my yard. It takes me 30 to 40 minutes to weedy the whole thing. Anybody else? It's springtime, right? Springtime. We're edging, we're planting, we're mulching, we're doing... It takes a lot of time. You've fixed your roof, you've sucked water out of a flooded basement. How many of you have cars? How much time do you spend maintaining your car in a week? Washing it, cleaning it. If you have kids, you clean it one day, the next day it's dirty. How many of you spend a good majority of your time maintaining your social media outlets? Your, face, your Facebook posts, your Instagram, your profile pictures, making sure that like going back on to see how many people have liked your last comment, you liked your last statement, and then you're wondering why they didn't like it or why they didn't thumbs up it or why they didn't smiley face it. And so you go on and you put on another one and we spend all this time maintaining a false reality. And here's what I know. I've learned this in faith life and I've just learned it in church life. Is that whenever we maintain, 
we lose our ability to grow. Whenever we're just maintaining what we have, we lose our ability to mature. And that is the point. Maintaining your life, maintaining where you are and what you have, stunts your maturity. And that's why Jesus says what he says. He says it again. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear. But as they go on their way, they are choked by life's worries and riches and pleasures. And check it out. They never mature. They never grow up. By the way, series in two weeks, grow up. That's what it's called. Can't wait to see you there. And there's a third lady, Susanna. It's interesting. Uh, Susanna does not have an identity in the story. In fact, when you sort of do research on who Susanna is, we know that she was a follower of Jesus, but that's really all we know. We don't know anything else about her. And I think Luke intentionally does that because the other two women were rooted in something. They were rooted in an identity. And Luke gives Susanna no title because he wants to point out in our lives that it is so easy for us to be rooted in the wrong story. And at the end of the day, nobody will ever remember who you are or what you did. Like there's nothing to know about you. There's nothing that was significant about you. There's nothing that's connecting you. And that's what Jesus says, he explains it. There are those on rocky ground. And, and if I was honest with you, this is probably where I am. There are those who are on rocky ground, the ones who receive the word with joy, they hear it, that's me. I get so amped up about reading God's word, you know? But there's no depth. I'm terrible at memorization. I'm terrible at remembering. There's no root. So I believe for a while, but when the test comes, I'm not ready for it. I wonder if you're rooted. And so here's where we're gonna end it. I asked my wife, I said, what'd you think? She said, uh, you made it sound like these women uh, have no hope, their life is terrible and they have no potential. And I looked at her and I said, good. They just have potential. And everybody around them is saying that's all they have is potential. And many of them see it problematic. Many of them see them as people who will never make a difference because they just have potential. But you'll have to come back next week to find out how the story ends. So let me just leave with this. Maybe you feel like in this moment, your life, your faith, your journey is simply defined by potential. You have this sense in you that there's something greater for you, but you're still just at the potential level where you feel like you don't get it, you don't got it, and you don't feel like any good can come out of you. Let me just say this, that's the perfect place to be. Potential in the kingdom of God is perfection.